Hey, Next on the T Nation, thanks for tuning in to this special episode of the show featuring author Peter Gray. Peter has written the great coffee book if you love the game of golf. It is titled The British Isles, The Weekend Warrior's Companion. You can get it out on Amazon and several other book sites. The book is fun. It is filled with fantastic imagery. The pictures that are in this book are absolutely second to none. The stories are great, and Peter's even greater. Take a listen to our conversations. Thank you again for tuning in, and enjoy the segment. Now next on the tee with me is Peter Gray. Peter has collaborated with Gary Lisbon on a fantastic book titled Golfing the British Isles, The Weekend Warrior's Companion. You can get it out on Amazon and several other book sites. It is a fun book filled with great stories and spectacular pictures. I couldn't be more honored that I get to have Peter with me here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Peter, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for those kind words, Chris. I'm really happy to do this with you. Peter, before we get into the book, we're on the heels of this year's Ryder Cup matches. I got to get your thoughts. What did you think about what you saw? I don't like the team that was put together, first of all. Uh, I, I, you know, I... I mean, I'm not the expert, but I'm not sure about those captain's picks. I don't know about the buddy system that, you know, they follow. Um, you know, it was it, a, a little bit depressing, but I, I will I, I will say that I love that event. I watched a lot of it, um, I, including early morning watching. It's, you know, it's one of the great events there is. Uh, it's captivating. It's it's it's, you know, the the. You know, the spirit and the, the, you know, the passion that people play with. It's just fun to watch. You don't see that on the PGA Tour so much, you know. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to go when it's at Beth Page in two years. I, I will tell you that. Are you? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I want to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's disappointing for any American, right? Yeah. And why, why do you think they are so much better at this than we are? I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I've read about, I've offered about. I think it just starts with um, there is a there is a, a little bit of a nationalistic uh, uh, pride among the players. They and they, you know, and first of all, they they didn't take off five weeks before the <laughs> tournament. So that right there, you know, I, I can't remember who said it was a disgrace that we, our players were taken off five weeks. So that that's that's part of it. Um, I think that they. I think they look at metrics a lot more. This this buddy system, it doesn't, you know, why is, well, I, I hate to say this, but why is JT and Jordan Spieth on the team? I, you know, they're fantastic players. They're great. But are they really, you know, the right players at this time, of, you know, when they're both struggling somewhat? I don't know. You know, there, there are other players. I mean, Thigala probably could have done better, you know? I mean, so I don't know. Uh, I, I just think that also this format favors, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the Europeans, they, you know, they, they set the course up as you probably heard so that, you know, shots between 180 and 230, which where they, you know, in terms of numbers exceed, uh, were favored and the short wedges were, uh, taken out. So I don't know, but whatever it is, I don't think that the same results going to happen in two years. I, I'll tell you, those New York fans are tough. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, yeah. Peter, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, let our listeners know about you because, like you, I think most of us are, we're mid handicappers, we're weekend warriors. Talk about you and how you came to put the book together. 
Well, I mean, first of all, I, I again, I, I think I said that before we started, it, this is a labor of love. I, I've been going to the British Isles, to Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales. I've been doing that for years and years and years. It is one of the things that relaxes me the most, that gives me the most joy. I love it over there. I can't get that experience in the United States. And I love golf here, too. I mean, I'm a member of a club. I, you know, I have just, you know, I've played all over the United States. But there is just something different about going over there, going into the pubs. It, it is it is one of my one of my great passions. I, I had cancer a few years ago. Uh, I'm just, you know, cancer free, God willing. And uh, while I had cancer and while I was strapped to, you know, the radiation table, uh, the way I got away from my situation and, you know, that 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 just is really an unpleasant experience was I just remembered and thought over and over again about walking off that second tee at St. Andrew's Old Course and just, you know, just that feeling uh, that it, that it gave me that peace and serenity, the beauty, you know, I so. After you know, after I recovered, I you know, and while I was in recovery, I decided to write this book uh, just because I couldn't work and uh, I couldn't do what um, what I do best, which is I'm, I'm a lawyer, uh, an environmental lawyer. Uh, so I decided to write, and I, I love to write. I, I, you know, that's really the job of a lawyer is communication, and writing is a really important skill set. And when you write as a lawyer, it's a very limiting. You know, you can't really write wet as i like to say you have to write in a very concise and constrained way so this is sort of an outlet for my creativity that's why i did it uh, and um and, and then i you know i was inspired by some other books that i've read uh you know uh, uh you know walking what uh, the good walk spoiled and a lot of the more narrative styles of golf books and you know that there's a hole in the in, 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 you know, when you get coffee table books, quote unquote, the narrative is usually kind of boring and you just skip through it, right? It's not. It's, so this is sort of a hybrid. It's a book book and it's also a coffee table book. Uh, and I just thought that was a, an interesting uh, niche to fill. My personal, you know, skill set, obviously, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a 12.2 index guy. It's gone up, it's gone down, but that's really what I am. And the thing about, you know, Lynx golf and golf in the British Isles and Heath golf, weaker golfers can play it because, you know, they design these courses for win. So they're wider and you're not going to lose balls. There's not a lot of heroic carries over there. It's mostly, you know, just, you know, the bump and run, playing in the wind, figuring out how to get it in the hole. But you're not going to lose a bunch of balls. Guys who bring boxes of balls to play in the British Isles, they bring them back. So, you know, that's, that's, that's why weekend warriors, people like us will just delight in the experience, um, because it doesn't torture you. You, it's hard. You know, you can, you can go ahead and try to get your best score, but, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're resistant to par, uh, when the wind is bright and it's always blowing. Right. But, you know, people like us aren't going to be tortured. And that's, you know, you know, golf is a cruel mistress, you know, so. Uh, I, you know, this is, it, it's one of those things that I just love and, and I, I want to introduce to, you know, a, a large American audience that really has never been over there and, you know, doesn't really know why, why they should go over there. So that, that, that's why I did this. So let's break down a lot of what you just said and, and you refer to people like us and for the majority of 
of my listeners, just like you and me, we're all weekend warriors. Um, we're all uh, folks that get out there. We don't get the opportunity to practice as much as we want. We don't get to do the things that we want. And right, right from the get-go, you have an interesting definition of what a weekend warrior is. Share that with us. So what I what I say in the uh, author's note is, you know, let's make something clear right up front. I'm a weekend warrior, and you probably are too. I'm guessing that 99% of weekend uh, golfers are weekend warriors. We aren't pros. We don't win the club championship. We go to jobs most days of the week. Hence, the weekend is when we play, right? We don't have time to practice much, but we love the game, and we will take any opportunity to play. That's a weekend warrior. You know, my son, he's a plus three. He's not a weekend warrior. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, now he's getting into the working world and we'll see how long he keeps that plus three. There you go. Peter, are are all the courses in the book ones that are open to anyone to play? Or did you have to know some members, some starters, some pros to get out there? And by no, I mean Brad. Oh, no, no. that's the other that's the other thing that's amazing about playing over there. Over here, the great venues, the places where the US Open for the most part is played, or the PGA Championship, or you know, anywhere where the where you want to walk in the footsteps of the, you know, the legends of the game, they're private and you've got to know somebody. Over there, it's not like that. Anybody can play any of these golf courses. And there are also private ones you can get onto, but uh, you know, fully private. I mean, you know, Muirfield is, is a club. It's one of the oldest clubs in the world. But you could play it. You could play it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe. Um, so, you know, St. George's, Royal St. George's, which is just an unbelievable golf course in England. Holy cow. Again, you can't play on Saturday and Sunday, but you can play even you can even play on Friday. Uh, and so, yeah, these courses are open to the public for a fee. Not Pebble Beach, $600 a round fee either. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's approachable. Um, so that's, the, that's the beauty of, the, you know, one of the beauties of playing over there is you get to walk in the footsteps of Jack Nicholas or, you know, uh, you know, name your champion, right? Uh, Ben Hogan, uh, James Braid. And, and, and the courses are all designed. Many of these courses in this book, they're designed by some of the greatest, uh, architects. You know, in history, old Tom Morris, um, you know, as an example, Harry Colt, you know, H.S. Colt, um, the, you know, these, these so that there's a lot of these ancient, fabulous golf courses and you'll just never forget them. There's also great new courses. Uh, you know, Kings Park in Scotland is one of my favorites. I mean, designed by Kyle Phillips, I think in 2000 or something like that. Um, I'm telling you it's better than Pebble Beach. I don't know where it stands up and you know in the official rankings but it's every bit as good as pebble beach it has uh, the 12th hole looks like the 18th hole of pebble beach it is fabulous just you know so there are so many so many good courses over there too many to name you got gary lisbon to do the photography for the book and his work is absolutely spectacular how'd you get to collaborate with him so after i finished writing this book uh i you know i written it just sort of for myself and then i decided you know maybe i can get this published uh and i knew that i would have to have images to go with my text and i follow gary on instagram as well i mean he's got a hundred thousand followers or more his and so i contacted him 
Uh, and he said, well, why don't you send me the, the manuscript? And I did. And when he read it, he said, I'm in. <laughs> That's it. So uh, when I then started trying to find a publisher, uh, I ended up with Triumph Books. They contacted me after I, you know, basically threw my, uh, my, you know, a portion of my manuscript through their transom and they liked it. And they, I was on a Zoom call with them and they said, well, do you have anybody in mind to do the pictures? And I said, yeah, uh, Gary Lisbon. Before I said the words, I said, oh my God, we love Gary. He's, he's just incredible. You've got Gary? And I said, yeah, I got Gary. He, he's in. So I think that's why they published the book. Because <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary Lisbon is the, is the photographer and his, his, his images are just beautiful. I mean, yes, he's, he's so he's so talented. You mentioned Pebble Beach a moment ago, and right out of the shoot in the book, you address those of us who might think, well, why do I need to go to the British Isles to play great seaside golf courses when I can go to a place like Bandon Dunes or maybe a course in Florida or the Carolinas or those of us who, who can afford $600 rounds? Maybe I could just go to Pebble Beach. Talk uh -huh. about why those are great but it's not the same as playing in the British Isles. Yeah, well, first of all, if you are if you really want to play Lynx golf, it's it's in the British Isles. I mean, the 90%, literally, of the world's true Lynx courses are located there. And, you know, there's a certain kind of loamy, sandy soil uh, that you need. So, you know, you can't. a lot of courses these days call themselves Lynx, but they're not Lynx because they're not on land that, you know, essentially linked to the sea. It doesn't have that kind of stressed uh, seaside vegetation. It doesn't have the marine element, and it doesn't have the sandy, loamy uh, soil that creates firm, fast playing conditions. Uh, there's really, you know, as, according to, uh, you know, George Pepper, Peeper Pepper <laughs> and the Crew Links Guide, there's only two courses in the United States that are Crew Links, and they are abandoned dunes. Uh, I actually... I question whether they really are true links also, because they're more to me, they're more flip top courses, which are different. But, you know, that's a, you know, we can, we can argue, argue over that. So, you know, if you want to play true links, you, you know, they're not in Florida, they're not in North Carolina. Uh, it's, it's in the British Isles. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, the cultural experience that you get when you go play over there is just, is, is, fabulous i mean it is it, it it it's one thing to go to abandoned dunes you know you're in this this location they've got central restaurants uh you know it's it's beautiful and the elements are amazing i mean it's, it's a great great place but you know you can't equal the pub crawl in saint andrews i mean that is the greatest golf town in the world bar none there's nothing that comes even close it's a it's a cool thing to do um, and so, you know, even if you're, you can take your family there and they'll like it, even though I would do it more in the buddy, buddy, uh, type trip system. So that's another reason. I mean, you know, so that, I guess that's as much as I would go into, uh, you know, pending your next thoughts on the subject, but that's <laughs> it. I, the other thing is, you know, people like, I have a lot of friends and they say, why, why, why go over there? It's so far, and, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a hassle and, and, no, it's not. It's a hassle to get from the East Coast to Bandon Dunes. That is a hassle. That is an all-day extravaganza. You know, fly to San Francisco, puddle jumper to, 
you know, bend. I mean, you're taking a lot of flights and they're long flights. By contrast, you can fly, uh, you know, to Edinburgh. Uh, you get on a plane at 7 p.m. You arrive at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. You're an hour from St. Andrews and you play that afternoon and you're drinking in the Dunvegan pub that night. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's why I love it so much. It's not a hassle. It's, and it's, it's less expensive for sure, although it is expensive. You know, let's just get that straight. It's become very, um, in demand now. Uh, it's, you really have to book trips a year in advance. So if you're, you know, listening, you know, and you think about this, now is the time to do it. And it's probably too late for St. Andrew's Old Course, by the way, but I don't know that for a fact. A lot of these, you know, the, 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 uh, the tour companies, they get, they get tea times, even though St. Andrew's is a municipal course, right? The, the old course is a muni. Can you imagine? <laughs> so anyway, all right. Oh, no. So let's, you know, speaking of, of the old course and, and, and playing on the British Isles, you start your book where it should be started with St. Andrew's. And I can only imagine what the feeling must be like walking onto the old course for the very first time. Describe what it was like for you. Uh, well, it's 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 about as intimidating a first tee as there is in golf. Oh, I, I can name even more intimidating ones, but that one is really intimidating. Um, but you, first of all, you play out almost out of the center of town, right? You're surrounded on two sides by the town. There, you know the you know the Royal and Ancient Clubhouse is right behind you. There's some members maybe standing outside with their arms folded. You know, uh, it's you know and. and one of the oldest, the oldest course in the world, the most famous course in the world. Very hard to get a tee time, you know. So, yes, it's even the greatest players succumb to the, you know, the the emotions of the moment, uh, to be honest. Um, I remember, you know, Ian Baker Finch snapping his drive on the first tee out of bounds left, which is impossible. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's 200 yards wide. Think about that, right? But when I played it the first time, I played with three professors from St. Andrews after literally waiting in line at 6 a.m., you know, as a single. I got on. Wow. And I was I was so pumped and freaked that I limped, or I limped my ball out of bounds right, which was just horrible, you know, just a terrible way to start. But, you know, from that point forward, my nerves were gone, and I was just... Captured by the by the feeling that this place evokes, you're walking on a 600 year old golf course where golf literally started um, amid a 12th century ancient town. It's a it's a it's a pretty magical experience. And when you you know when you get to the edge, you know to the to the loop as they call it, and start heading inbound, uh, you're you will it, it is a sight that you will never forget. For your entire life, it is it is a just a magical. It will bring a tear to your eye. I promise. Great. We talk great about tears. how all the holes have double greens, and maybe a little known fact that the holes that share the same green all add up to eighteen, like two and sixteen, and three and fifteen. And you mentioned that the greens shared by the fifth and thirteen holes is nearly thirty eight thousand square feet, literally a hundred yards wide. Tell that story. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it, 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 the, the, well, first of all, there are 11 greens, 11 greens in total on an 18-hole course. So, you know, that's that's pretty strange, right? 
Um, it's it's cool. Uh, so seven double greens, and which uh, you know, and then four single greens. Um, the greens, if you you know, if you're not, they're they're gigantic. And I pulled them on that particular green. I believe I I remember one time I pulled my my approach shot to the wrong flag, way way left, and there is no way in the world to put your ball <laughs> to within uh, you know a two putt range from that far out i mean it is a full shoulder turn so yeah it's a pretty cool place I, it, you know it's it's one of the more unusual golf courses that's the thing st andrews is not the most beautiful course in the world uh you really don't see the water on much at all uh, but it's got a lot of amazing things that, you know, the double greens are incredibly large and very, very undulating when it blows, it's really hard. Um, and you know, there's, you know, there are some holes there that are the most famous holes in the world. I mean, number 17, the road hole is an unbelievable hole, which would never be designed today and never will be. <laughs> it's, there's nothing like it. You literally play a blind tee shot over a rail shed. Uh, there's a hotel right hard on the out of bounds right uh the second shot to that green is maybe the hardest shot you'll ever face and uh, you know the road hole bunker is a place for masochists um <laughs> if you if you fly the green like i did you're sitting on pebbles or the road you know um good luck with that shot uh it didn't go well for me so <laughs> You talk about uh, playing the road hole with a friend of yours, and he didn't hit his tee shot high enough to get over the shed. You said his ball bounced back to him three yep. times. Yep. How high does one have to hit it to get it over the shed? Well, it's not that hard to get over the shed. Uh, but, you know, my friend, and I'll just say, my friend David Lewis, he, he I asked him if I could mention it, and whether, you know, he wanted to, wanted the fact to be known. He said, absolutely. It literally, he, he you know, he hits a low ball. And at, when you're nervous and you're playing one of the most famous holes in the world, you know, hitting it a little thin is not hard, right? <laughs> so, yeah, he did. It was definitely an automatic ball return machine. It was hilarious. <laughs> I also had another friend whose name I will not mention who I played, and he hit the hotel. And we all had a good laugh about that. But he had the last laugh because his ball came back into the fairway. It bounced wow. off the hotel. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very cool hole. And the green is just a, it's just a narrow wedge, you know, a, a narrow wedge shape, well, you know, oblong, frankly. So it's hard to hold that green. And, uh, you know, off, the, off your tee, it's really, really hard to aim at the correct letter because you feel that hotel, you just don't want to go out of bounds. So you're going to yank it left uh, unless you're just really, really confident in your fade. Or like my son, it's just you're just an incredible driver. Um, and so if you're in that rough, you know, that the wispy uh, 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 fescue on the left of the fairway, there's just not a lot of good options. And every, and you know, for people like me, it's like I didn't come here to lay up, you know. <laughs> and, and so bad things can happen, you know. It's, <laughs> it's a very cool, very cool experience. Yeah, I got a buddy that would hit it right. It would rattle around a couple of balconies, bounce off a bunch of things. You'd lose sight of it for a little while. You're walking up to the fairway, and it would end up being right there in the center. I know what that's like. Um, of course, it's at the top of my bucket list is Old Head over in Kinsale, Ireland. I can't imagine a more beautiful, p 
picturesque golf course anywhere on the planet than that one. You quote Marco Mira as saying about Old Head, anyone who has a love of golf and scenic beauty should make a point of playing here. It's as simple as that. Talk about Old Head. First of all, uh, it is the most unbelievably beautiful spot maybe I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it is this, you know, it's a, a headland. Uh, it's where, where you literally drive off a, out to this island on a road that's the same width as the the isthmus that connects that headland to the mainland. Um, it looks like, a, you know, like a uvula, if you think about the, think about that. That's what it looks like. It's a piece of land. It's tabletop flat. It's got cliffs that drop off 300 feet on all three sides. It has a lot of unbelievable cliff holes, do or die holes. It's so there is a lot of controversy about this course. And there's a, a real like mean girls club of golf purists, <laughs> you know, and they dismiss it derisively. Oh, it's not a real lakes. No, okay. It's not a real lakes. Fine. It's what it is. It's, unbelievably captivating beautiful golf uh they say well you know some of the holes are not you know fantastic well yeah there are a couple of holes that are sort of the way to get to the next hole it's not 18 of the best holes you'll ever play but it has at least 13 14 really really good holes got an unbelievable finisher it's it's a must play it's it's a it's not an easy course uh for a weekend warrior like me um, there are a lot of these do or die shots. You just bring some extra balls. You just chalk it up. You want to see it. You want to play it. It's, you know, um, it, it is one of those courses that you'll never forget. I, you know, I, I remember driving out there with my buddies and there was this you know, herd of Guernsey cows blocking the road for like 20 minutes. It was, you know, just see, imagine that in your mind's eye. It's just, you know, it's a cool thing. Uh, it took years to build, right? These brothers who bought it, uh, I forget their names, you know, they had to truck in soil because it was sort of this rocky, you know, uh, difficult piece of property. So it's, it's, it's a manufactured course in that sense. It's not an old links like St. Andrews or Carnoustie or World Doorknock, you know, but it, it's, it's worth playing a hundred percent. I loved it. I, I really, really loved it. I have amazing pictures um, and you know there's nothing quite like it i know it's it's ireland at the top of my, my bucket list yeah I can't ireland, wait to get over ireland was my my first love and you know my I, my first trip that i ever took over there was to ireland and i was really really obsessed with the gigantic uh 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 dunes that you see in ireland i mean there there's nothing like it um i i love ireland absolutely love ireland i grew to like scotland a little more and and because you know they have they have their own incredible dunes by the way but they're not quite as epic in scale as the ones in ireland but the quality of the golf in scotland is just you know it's just a little higher they they you know the holes are a little more there's so many magical holes i mean when you play Prestwick, this old school course, you know, from, you know, a long, long, long time ago, uh, designed by old Tom Morris. There's a lot of old Tom Morris courses, by the way, in, uh, in Scotland and old Tom Morris is incredible. Uh, and Prestwick is one of his, one of the great, uh, one of the great courses, the 17th hole there, the Alps hole. 
they have that same hole um, in national golf links in, in Long Island. I mean, a lot of the template holes are based on Royal Press, uh, Royal uh, Royal Troon and um, Turnberry and Presswick. They come from over there. So anyway, that's I do love I do love Old Head though. Peter, everyone tells me about Royal County Down. The quote you use about the course is from Bernard Darwin. For those who aren't familiar with Darwin, he was a leading amateur player from the late 1890s to the mid-1930s. But he said of Royal County Down, it's the kind of golf that people play in their most ecstatic dreams. And Herbert Warren Wynn said, it's the most earnest examination of golf I have ever taken. You've got it as your second favorite course overall. Talk about why. Well, first of all, it, it is again just indescribably beautiful. Uh, the mountains of Morn, um, the town with the you know the steeples, uh, you know it's right hard next to the, the sea. Uh, you know it was designed originally by old Tom Morse, who's again he's just an un- unbelievable uh, uh, you know one of the you know the original. He wasn't really called architects back then, but uh, he designed some of the great courses, and then. Uh, it was remade by Harry Colt, and Harry Colt is one of the great Golden Age architects. Uh, so, you know, the, you start with the the provenance of the course. The architectural provenance is unmatched, basically. Um, it, you know, the holes are just they they're just wild. They tumble up and down. This, uh, you know, what what amounts to sort of the you know a large series of climbing dunes. Um, there. You know, a few blind shots, and I'm not a blind shot lover. Uh, but you know, it's it's not like they did it to torture you. It's that's what the land is, and sometimes courses over there have blind shots, and you just get to, you know, you just deal with it. They'll put a rock on the hill, aim over that rock, right? So, but but the beauty of it is is really, you know, almost in, insurmountable, un, unsurpassed in, in my experience. And I've seen a lot of really, really gorgeous courses, but that was way up there. And, you know, when I rate courses, beauty matters to me. Um, I have a different rating system. I rate courses for Golf Week magazine, and they have a very complex 10-factor system, and I adhere to it. But when I rate golf courses, you know, for me, it's strategic options. You know, do you have multiple ways of playing a hole, which is important when you're, you know, when you have holes in your game. You know, I'm not a guy. I can't spin it with a lob wedge from 50 yards that's just not my play you know uh i can chunk it and i can thin it and shank it from 50 yards <laughs> <laughs> so for me you know i'm a bump and run guy i love having that option you you know the number two beauty uh that matters to me uh you know I, there are a lot of great courses in the united states but not all of them are beautiful in the way they are over there and there is very few that are as beautiful as royal county down number three is character you know does the course, is it memorable? Can, when you're done playing, can you remember more than the first and the 18th hole, right? I mean, if you can't, there's probably something about that course that isn't all that great, right? Uh, I, when I play a course where I can remember half or more, sometimes every hole, I know I've done something special. And that's the way you feel when you play Royal County Down. There are so many memorable holes. And then four, for me, one of the more important ones is fun. Is it fun, right? And again, fun is, you know, that you may think that that's a squishy concept, but, you know, the idea of good golf architecture is, you know, best espoused by 
of Alistair McKenzie in one of his rules. He had 13 rules. And one of them is it should be designed in a fashion that even the weaker golfer, while piling up a big score, is delighted, is enjoying him or herself. And so, you know, that is, you know, I I, I don't mind taking a big score. Uh, you know what? You go over those courses over there, you're probably going to be shooting in the 90s, even if you're at 12, uh, pretty likely. Because you don't know it, and it's it's a style of golf that you're not necessarily accustomed to. But you know, will you have fun? Yes, because you're not losing a million golf balls. You're not you know hitting a ball down the middle and then having to make the heroic carry over some you know some dastardly hazard and losing your ball and gnashing your teeth. You'll leave with a smile on your face. And Royal County Down, you know, pretty pretty strong in that category. It's over in Northern Ireland, which is a part of the UK, unlike the Republic of Ireland. And we've had one course from Northern Ireland host the Open, and that's Royal Portworth, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. But did you talk to anybody there? Did anyone tell you why Royal County Down hasn't gotten either into the Rota or ever hosted an Open? I, I didn't ask that question, but uh, I don't know the answer to that. And, and mind you, it might. Uh, and, and you know, Royal Portrush was only... It only hosted the open once, right? It's the only it's the only one outside of you know UK proper, you know, and by which I mean, you know, England and Scotland. It's the only non-England Scotland course to hold an open. And it did so in like 1950, uh, when a guy named Max Faulkner uh, won it. And I never even heard I didn't know anything about Royal County Down. I mean a, a Royal Park Rush, uh, other than it was, you know, it had been a, a, an open venue and I wanted to play them all, right? And so anyway, a Royal County down may be a little too hard. I think it, it, it it's, you know, I think uh, when Rory McIlroy uh, 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 played there it, it, during the uh, 2015 Irish Open, he failed to break 80. Think about that. Um, it's a it's a very it's a very difficult course, which is why I like Royal Portrush a little more. Uh, you know, Royal County down may be ranked. It may have been ranked number one in the world by all of the top services, you know, golf magazine and whatnot. But for me, it's Royal Portrush, period. It's, I mean, like, it's not, a, it's not hard for me to say that I prefer Royal Portrush. And it's also my favorite course that I've ever played. Yeah, you say that's number one for you. Talk about why it's at the top of your list and what the scene is like on the first tee there and who was in the crowd waiting to tee off after you. Oh, well, I mean, it, it's a, that to me, is actually the most uh, intimidating first tee in all of golf. For me, at least, you know, and I haven't played everywhere, but I've played a lot of places. Um, it's it, The first tee is off from the, it's it's a 15-minute walk or 10-minute walk. So it's a walk from the clubhouse, and you're not going to miss your point at tee time, right? So you're over there early, and you're over there early along with three or four other foursomes, right? Because everybody's waiting and all of their caddies. So, you know, do the math. We're talking 32 people, right? That's not unusual, right? So that's a real gallery. In my particular gallery, uh, there was Darren Clark and his caddy, right? Right there, big as life. And we had to tee off for that guy. So that was, you know, he's a member there, I believe. Uh, so that, that there's that. And then our names get called and my group is all looking to me to tee off first, and, and you know, I really didn't want to. I wanted to see somebody else fail, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> uh, but I just accepted it. I just said, I'll just take it like a man, 
put my T in the ground, and oh, it's out of bounds left and right. Now, it's not narrow, but that tends to focus the mind. You're right. You just, just go down there, just hit it again, right? So I, I did sort of limp the ball down there well enough to stay in bounds, but it was not, it was definitely not, it was a little bit of a wounded duck kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very intimidating. And my crowd made it worse, but that's, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough first tee when you got that size gallery. Oh, and the, you know, you also have the, you know, prototypical stern, uh, starter, you know, with the, the tie and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, sometimes they have, uh, you know, hilt and sometimes, you know, sometimes just a suit and tie with the arms folded, staring imperiously at you. Like, are you going to, are you going to make me, you know, they don't want people reteeing, obviously, but on that one, reteeing happens quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, we know the weather and the wind, and you, you've made mention to that along the way here during our conversation, but it can be severe anywhere along the sea on any given day at any given time. It can come, it can go. What were the most brutal conditions that you faced along your journey here of putting this book together? I can think of two days that were really among the worst uh, 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 weather-wise. And I'll start with uh, Royal Liverpool or Hoy Lake, where we just had the uh, uh, Open Championship. It's, it, it's, an, it's an unbelievable golf course. I'm telling you, people you know, deride that course because it doesn't have the big ocean views. It's kind of flat. Why? Because it was a racetrack at first, right? It, the golf course was developed around a racetrack. Uh, so it's not, but, but the, the golf course is incredible. The design, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm telling you, you know, that, that is a place that you've got to play. You, if you, you know, particularly if you're, you know, an open kind of, you want to play all the open courses. It's amazing. Um, really, really great course. One of the day I played there, it was raining sideways, Ooh. hard squall. 55 degrees. I mean, it was a tough day. I had two rain suits on. I had my regular rain suit and then my heavy duty one. I was swaddled. Uh, I could barely move and it was raining sideways. Hard to keep, you know, you yank your hat down so hard because you don't want it to blow off. I mean, I look like a fool, I'm sure. But I walked off that course that day with the biggest smile on my face. I loved it. Every minute, every step of that round of golf, uh, because the holds are so cool. The bunkers are unbelievably deep. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they are like little, like little, uh, you know, little black holes, right? You can put it on the green and it can come back and circle around and get sucked into that black hole like nobody's business. I've got pictures of me in those where the, you know, these, they're revetted, you know, sod faced bunkers like that, which is typical over there in both, uh, scotland uh and england um but it was and it was an unbelievable round i mean it, you know it stopped sometimes it was sunny sometimes it rained hard as hell sometimes it was windy as you can't believe it was calm five different days in one day and i loved every minute of it and i would go back there in a heartbeat so fast i i loved watching the pros play that i don't know if you watched the the open championship this year for sure but i've got on my instagram account i've got a couple of the unbelievably terrifying you know just 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 punishing bunkers that people got like on 18 they they got they got killed there i mean john rom i think he took like an eight you know and i i, I don't remember i think jt took a nine i mean that was 
there was some bad stuff happening. And then they decided to change the bunker so they didn't embarrass the pros. I hate that. But anyway, yeah, that's one really, really tough round. The other one was I played Muirfield in a 40 mile per hour, uh, you know, hurricane. And, you know, good luck trying to judge your club distances. I mean, I would hit a, you know, I would hit a three iron 120 yards if I was into the wind. <laughs> you know, I would hit a seven iron 250 yards if I was down with him. It's just you know, ridiculous. But it was fun. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the challenge is the win, right? The challenge is the elements. That's why you go there. So if you just sit there and go and hope for seven days of sunshine and no wind, well, you're really not getting the full experience. Some of the courses there don't have driving ranges, like Lahinch, for example. How do you stand up on the first tee of an old, iconic golf course designed by old Tom Morris, maybe redesigned by Dr. Alistair McKenzie, and hit your opening tee shot hole? It didn't work for me, as you know from the book. <laughs> I, 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 I had flown all night, landed in Shannon. You know, my group, we all drove out there, and I, we got on the first tee. There's no driving range, you know, um, and uh, I shanked my ball. That's what I did. And guess what I did after that? I shanked it again. In fact, I shanked for 18 holes. It was, it was, it was, you know, and I was with clients too, you know, so I just had to smile and just say, okay. And I was radioactive. People just stayed away from me. Holy cow. So yeah, yeah, sometimes, but look, you know, if you're playing up for a week, there are driving ranges on some of these courses, but they're so far, you know, it's just, you know, it's just not worth the, the walk. And, you know, you'd have to get there pretty early. But, you know, they, most of them have hitting bays, so you can warm up. You just can't see the ball in the air. And really, that's what it's all about over there. It's just warming up. These guys play a lot of golf over there, right? You know, they, they go out every day and play. Um, and they play in three hours, man. They don't, they don't, there's no, there's no five-hour rounds in Scotland or Ireland or England. No, no, no. <laughs> right? They play fast, and you better play fast, too. So, you know, you warm up in the hitting bay, you get out there, and it is what it is, right? <laughs> you talk about catching the shanks while you're over there. Fortunately, the good folks that you were with had a cure for the shanks. Talk about what that cure is. Well, you know, I went and I shanked my my ball for 18 holes at Lahinch. And the next day, you know, I, I, I went to the driving range. We were playing Tralee, and... You know, I, I hit the ball pretty well. It was like, okay, that's good. I knew it was just a, you know, it was just what it was, right? It's just, that was, I, I had a bad day. I flew all night. Get to the first tee, shank. And now, now I'm in, in the grip of death, you know? I mean, I'm like, how, how, why, why? <laughs> and there's nothing worse, right? There's just no feeling worse in the game of golf. I hate even talking about this, to be honest. And I kept gripping it tighter and tighter. I mean, there's a number of reasons why people shank, right? I mean, but stopping it, sometimes it just goes away by itself. But I was now shanking for my second day in a row. And I started thinking, okay, I'm going to groove my shank now. I can't go on like this. If I, if I do this for five days, um, you know, I might be Charles Barkley now, right? I have that shank. That's my move. I shank it. And so I was terrified, right? I was really, and it, it didn't go away. So that night, we went to a bar in Bally Bunyan, I believe it was, and uh, the town of, and um, my my 
friends said, you're not going to shout. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to purge this demon from your body. And they made me drink a bottle of Jameson's 18 year old scotch. Uh, or whole bottle? Whiskey, whiskey. Well, they probably took a few shots out of it, but it was mostly me. And I passed out on the floor of the bar. And the next day, it was gone. The curse lifted. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not recommending that to anybody because I was, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not a big drinker or anything, but uh, it worked for me. You just don't you don't you know, there's just it's like that. That's a really bad feeling when you're over there. You know, you're playing these epic golf courses and you are you are exploring. You're going where no man has gone before. Right. You are just out there on on your own. People, you know, you're radioactive. Nobody's looking you in the eye. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> Peter, at the end of the book, you have a questions and answers chapter. And one section of that is about what items are indispensable for a trip over to the British Isles, including our need to embrace, as you've talked about, just embrace that you're going to be playing in the rain. Yeah. What are all the things that you need to have in order to go over there? And what are some of the things you don't need to bring? Okay. So. What do you, the, the, the most important thing? Well, there's two really important things. One you can buy your own before you get there is a rain suit. You need a good rain suit. And I mean the best. I, I would spend, I, mine is a pro quip. Uh, get what you like. Uh, but you know, the bad rain suit is fatal. I mean, look what happened to the Ryder Cup team a few years back with them when they, um, you know, are the U.S. team had some brand that was, you know, in name only a rain suit, and they literally went to the pro shop at the course to buy rain suits. You know, think about that. Uh, but if you're dressed properly, if you have a correct rain suit, rain doesn't bother you, right? I mean, it it doesn't bother you. You you just it just bounces off you, and you you kind of start to like it. The other thing that's really really important are rain gloves. I I can't tell you how amazing those things are. In fact. In the summer now, when my hands are sweating, I play with rain gloves because, you know, those your leather gloves get all saturated and they really start to lose their functionality. But rain gloves were made to be played wet and they work. They work unbelievably well. You don't even need two of them. You can just use one. Uh, but yeah, rain gloves, really, really important. Um, the thing you don't need really, in my opinion, is an umbrella. Uh, because first of all, you'll look like an American tourist. They don't, they don't use umbrellas over there, except if they have, you know, if they're pros with, you know, you know, <laughs> keeping their, their, their armada of gloves dry, like, uh, the open championship winner this time. Um, uh, so yeah, you don't need an umbrella because they're going to turn inside out and you're going to get, if you don't have a good rain suit, if you're screwed anyway. Um, uh, but if you have a good rain suit, that, that, that umbrella really doesn't do a whole lot. Um, the other thing you don't need, leave your really fancy shoes at home, right? Uh, you just want really good broken in. You're walking. You're going to walk there. You're not going to take a, a golf cart. You know, no electric carts for most of these places, unless you have like a letter from your doctor or something. Um, but most of them just are just walking courses. And that's the way the game was meant to be played, right? On foot. And so you need comfortable shoes and they better be rainproof, uh, right? You know, you, so you need to, uh, you know, a, a a couple of pairs of shoes at least. Um, leave the cap toes at home. Um, I, I, I don't know beyond that. Uh, you can buy a rain hat there. It's kind of a cool novelty to bring home with the name of you know your favorite club. 
So that, that's what I, that's, oh, the other thing you don't need, you don't need uh, uh, two dozen balls. No, you don't. I, you know, I go over there, I'll bring three, four, maybe six balls and I'll come back with them. I won't lose many. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. Well, I'm not that good, but you know, if you got a caddy and you should take one, I know people who won't take caddies. I don't get it. It's the one of the great luxuries in life. And, you know, you hit the ball sideways. These guys and gals, they will find your ball. They will walk. They will walk right to it, and you will have no idea where the ball is. But they're amazing, and it just makes the game more fun. They know the hole. Uh, they know the course. They can read the putts. I mean, a lot of those greens are more intuitive than you think. Uh, but just having somebody who knows the course, you know, when you're playing St Andrews, you better have a caddy. Um, you know, there's there's holes where they say, okay, I want you're on the, uh, you know, you're on the twelfth hole. I want you to aim at that fairway over there because if you aim down the middle on the back side of the bunker of, of of the hills in the middle of the fairway are bunkers they're hidden from view you can't carry them right so you need caddies and it's one of the great pleasures of life you don't need a lot of golf balls for that reason they'll find your ball peter before i let you go how can our listeners get a copy of this wonderful book plus either follow you online or over social media Yep. So uh, the book is on Barnes and Noble and Amazon under, you know, Golf in the British Isles um, or just, you know, put in Peter Gray. Uh, and uh, on Instagram, it's Peter Gray Golf. Peter, it's a it's a fantastic book. It's become one of my all time favorites. I may buy a second copy of the book just to get the pictures that Gary Lisbon took and get those framed. Those, as, uh, as we said at the top, absolutely spectacular. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come and be a part of the show. I hope this is the first of many visits because there's so much more to get into just about this book, let alone well, the other an, things that you're doing. Book. I have another book coming out next year, so we could talk about that. Is that right? That. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Golf, golfing Long Island. Oh, I, there you I go. Play, I played them all, man. Wow. I, I look forward all. to seeing that book and reading that book and the pictures and everything else uh, uh, along with that. So yeah. many of the guests that come on this show are from that area. So that's yeah. going to be very popular. It's, I think so too. I think it was it was an unbelievable experience doing it. By the way, um, you know, if you think about how you get on those courses. It's tough, no doubt. Yep, yep. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to doing this again, hopefully sometime soon. Awesome! It was great fun. Thank you, Peter. Bye bye. That is Peter Gray, folks. And again, the title of the book is Golfing the British Isles, The Weekend Warriors Companion. You can get it out on Amazon and most other book sites. It is, again, a wonderful read. The photographs are absolutely out of this world. So much more to get into about this book and his trip over there. I can't wait to get Peter back on the show and delve more into the book and his stories. Fantastic book and a fantastic guy. We'll get him back here soon. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this very special segment of the show featuring my guest, Peter Gray. Scheduled to join me on the next episode are our resident director of instruction, and my paisan Tom Patry is going to be back with us. 
One of the sweetest swingers in the history of the PGA Tour, Tom Pertzer, will be here. The head golf professional out at Pittsburgh Field Club, Chris Sheehan, he's going to be back as part of the show. And David Moore will be making his next on the tee debut. David is the curator of collections out at Oakmont. So he's got a lot of great stories and memorabilia to talk about. I can't wait to hear every one of those. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on TribLive.com on the Pittsburgh Tribune Review site. Just go to TribLive.com, click on Sports, and then Podcasts. you find the show available free for you there. But we're also on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm. You name it, we're on it. So, folks, I can't thank you enough for coming back and listening to this special segment of the show. You guys are all the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next time, hit them straight, my friends.